First of all, the healed feminine is gonna heal this planet. Not just women, the healed feminine, almost especially in men. Can I deviate away from my conditioned normalcy? And can I start looking at a much deeper intimacy? When you look inside your heart, you see that your heart really loves life and really embraces life and doesn't have that same fear and that that's really the, the source of your courage. You first travel into the shadow. How is that, how is that, how is that impacting my life? It really shifts the energy so quickly in the mind, in the body, it, because you're not dismissing, you're not fighting the ego, you're not fighting the small self. You're welcoming it in, but you're just saying, hey, I actually know what I want, and I'm choosing to change that for myself. Hey, soul family. This is your host, Nick Walker, and welcome to the Soul Food for Thought podcast, the hub of all things physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And the mission here is simple. How can we tap into our highest power and well-being as individuals and leverage that foundation to create more joy, freedom, love, fulfillment, and success, not only for ourselves, but for the world at large? And today I'm excited to bring you Julie Bernier. Julie is an Ayurvedic expert and an Ayurvedic practitioner, so know we go super deep into this ancient wisdom of Ayurveda um, and you know what that means for you and your body and how you can really um, you know tap into these ancient principles and, and ideologies and you know perhaps not see it as the absolute truth but to see it as one perspective you know and to take advantage of those of those ideas and, and to pair it with your decision making so that you can live a better life so i love julie's essence that's what originally drew me to her just a very warm and nurturing um vibe that 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 julie has and so um i really appreciate her i really appreciated her being on the show and i appreciate you for listening so Enjoy this podcast with Julie Bernier. Everyone, welcome to the Soul Food for Thought podcast. And today I'm excited to bring you Julie. Hi, and how do you pronounce your last? I, I literally do this with every guest. <laughs> yeah, I know my last name is a little tricky. It's Bernier. Bernier. Okay, cool. Yeah. Julie Bernier. And she's an Ayurvedic practitioner who helps to bring women back into their bodies. And Julie, what I really like about your content is not only, you know, the things that you go over that and, and the things that you focus on, such as just like this very holistic nature of health, you know, mind, body, spirit, um, and really focusing on nutrition and, and pretty much the whole gambit. But I also just love your essence and the energy that you bring to it. And it just yeah it's wonderful and I, I i'm i'm happy to have you on the show thank you i really appreciate that mm -hmm. thank you i'm happy to be here and thank you for having me so what's alive for you right now 
What's alive for me? Well, that's an interesting question. I would say what's coming up for me right now is spaciousness, which is something that I had been missing for a little while, but I have a lot more um, spaciousness in my life and spaciousness in my mind. And I've been seeing a lot more interconnectivity in the flow of energy and the flow of nature. That's been quite present as of late. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, the dogs in the background. <laughs> yeah. The flow of nature. Yeah. And, and that's super interesting. And I'm sure we'll get, um, you know, we'll get pretty deep into that because it's like, from my perspective, Ayurveda in particular is very holistic like that. And it's really focusing on, because it's not just about like eating like a certain food and then you're like healthy or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like focusing on like how everything is connected and related um, and just finding, being able to find that harmony and that balance, no matter what circumstance you're in, mm -hmm. you know, because it's mm -hmm. like, for me, for example, something that, um, that I've been working through and I've, and this has been like a huge theme in my life that I've gained so much clarity on. And honestly, all my listeners are probably going to expect me right now to say compulsive eating, because that's another theme, but this is actually not the same thing. And it's actually this, um, sometimes I can have this tendency to just be so strict about my diet and almost like freak out uh, and be fearful by foods that are considered quote unquote unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And um, like, I, like I have to like sometimes actually like step into that fear and like completely bypass my mind that's creating these stories about the food and to be able to find that love or that freedom, that abundance, that God, that child within myself that does not see the world in separation, um, that is not bound to my mind that's creating these programs about it and literally creating a, you know, just like fighting with my reality, you know? Well, you're definitely not alone in that. I hear that same story from so many women and some men too. Mostly I work with women, but, um, yeah, fear of food. Fear of food is a really real thing. And it comes up a lot. And it's a funny thing that we've arrived at this place where we have fear of food because fear is our very basic nourishment. It's such an innate part of living and life. It's a basic urge to feel hungry. It's a, a basic necessity to eat, to replenish our body. Yet somehow somewhere along the way, which I think must be quite recently, Food has become an enemy for many people. And it could be that we've uh, strayed so far into strange directions of diets. And I'll speak from you know what I see as an American because that's the culture and that's the food culture that I know the most about, that we haven't really had a strong food culture in the sense that we don't have some foods that our ancestors have been eating for you know hundreds of years 
perhaps for for people who are more connected to their ancestry, yes. Like, for example, somebody who uh, moved to the U.S. from Japan and still has carried their Japanese food traditions. But for people who are several generations in in the U.S., I would say there's nothing to rely on when it comes to food. Like knowing these are the things that we eat for breakfast in my culture. Or these are the things we eat for lunch. These are the things we eat for dinner. And there are a certain number of dishes that we know how to cook and we know how to eat. And you see that when you go to countries that have more, um, you know, a, a long history of thousands of years, like in India or in Asia or parts of um, maybe Latin America, where people know what's needed to nourish the body and people know how to cook it. So anyway, that goes to say that we don't have that. And I think there's been in the past many decades sort of like this search, like what are we supposed to be eating and how are we supposed to be feeding ourselves? We don't know. And let's keep trying all these different diets until we figure out what fits, what feels good and what's um, feeding all of our nutritional needs. And it's really far removed from that basic act of simply eating and nourishing ourselves. Yeah, that's super powerful because it, I feel like the problems emerge whenever we bring so much rigidity to it, you know, totally because, I, because I, like, I, I can't say right now that it's in my highest good to only eat plant-based for the next seven days. I, I, I can't, like, I feel like that's, it's just so restrictive. And like, mm -hmm. I feel like my mind can't really, I feel like, it, I feel like it's very easy to just ignore the wisdom of my body that doesn't just see by these labels. Right. And who's telling you that it would be healthy to eat the plant-based for seven days? Like, where does that come from? Why is some restriction healthy? It's, it's a strange thing that comes up in modern, you know, modern Western and Eastern, but specifically American, we see it a lot. Like how can something which is restrictive or so going far in one direction be balanced, mm. right? At some point it loses its balance because it's too much teetering in a particular direction. Yeah. So, so someone has put out these strange rules for us that we're trying to follow and then maybe even feeling guilty because we fail to follow them. But um, a lot of them aren't, they're not inherently balanced, I would say. So it's interesting you talk about, you know, your body wisdom and what feels good intuitively. And, and if we can approach food from that place, we'll have such a much more balanced relationship to food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I want to, I want to pick your brain on how you understand intuitive eating. Well, I think that we need some foundations of knowledge of food. I think that we need some parameters and these parameters may have been passed down to us if we come from 
a culture which has some food traditions where we're not even thinking twice. But let's say like for myself, not having grown up with some particular food tradition of healthy foods, like I was more on this American diet of sometimes pizza, sometimes macaroni and cheese, sometimes cheese sandwich, that kind of thing. So I think that if we can learn some knowledge about wholesome eating, have some guidelines in our life, and then start to listen. How is my body feeling when I eat these foods? And this is a really complex process. And it's also not black and white where we eat and then we immediately feel good or bad after and we can identify what was good for me or what wasn't good for me. I don't think it works that way. There are so many other factors. But starting to understand at least, you know, do I feel overly full when I eat this? Do I feel heavy? Or am I feeling light and energized after eating? And ultimately our food should, our food and the way in which we digest it should allow us to feel light and energized. That is the final outcome of good digestion. And that food having that um, main role of nourishment, that is what food should be doing to nourish our our tissues to nourish our physical body. Mm -hmm. So real quick, before you go on, I want to, I really want to go down this road of digestion mm. because there are so many, it seems like there are so many factors. So I don't know if you're familiar with human design. I'm sure. Yes. Vaguely, uh, but yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'm very sensitive to sound. And I guess like the sounds that are around you play um, a big fact, like, like while you're eating, play a big factor in like your digestion. Mm. I'm curious what you think about that. And then there are also just like other things. Like I find that sometimes whenever I have like, um, like there are some meals, like I'll eat it and I'll feel like very tired after. So like Sometimes you never have like eggs and avocado for breakfast with like olive oil and the eggs or butter or whatever. Sometimes I can feel like very like tired or sluggish after. So I'm just curious to hear like how you understand and think about digestion. Yeah, well, with your example of the eggs and avocado and feeling tired after. So this is a great example of the possibility of two different things going on. One is that the meal is too heavy for you. Two is that your digestion is too, um, is not strong enough. So even though maybe that meal isn't inherently heavy, your own digestive fire at this moment isn't strong enough to digest it. So we're looking both at the food itself and at the person who's eating it. And that's what's really unique about Ayurveda is that we're, you know, when it comes to food and wholesome diet and all these other things I was talking about, we have to think about the person who is eating it and can they digest that food? Do they have a strong enough digestive fire, which is the principle of transformation in their body that digests, absorbs and assimilates the food in order to process that meal? And if the fire is too low or if the fire is vitiated, one of the symptoms we can feel is to be sleepy after we eat. 
because too much energy is trying to, you know, go to the digestion. And so we feel tired and we feel heavy rather than that light and energized feeling. Um, and you asked about sound. So it's so true. You're so right. Like sound can definitely play into our digestive process because whatever we're taking in through our senses as we eat, what we're watching, what we're listening to, it's affecting our mind, right? It's either making us feel peaceful and calm, no problem, or it could be making us feel anxious. It could be making us feel sad. And our mental state will affect how we digest our food. The mind-gut connection, which Ayurveda has known for thousands of years, like modern medicine now appreciates and proves there is this connection between the mind and the gut. So if our mind is not in a calm or let's say like even a neutral state when we eat, it's almost like we're eating our anxiety or we're eating our sadness or we're eating our anger and it will affect how we digest our food. So when it comes to sound, you know, it's recommended to actually eat in silence. <laughs> that was the recommended way of eating. And it's funny, like when, um, when you're in India and you go over to someone's house to eat dinner, like nobody talks. And here in, in Western culture, that's what we do. We eat and we talk, right? It's like an opportunity to chat and communicate but what happens when we're talking is that we're our mind is going 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 like we're intaking all these sounds we're having all these feelings and emotions and also very possible that we're swallowing a lot of air as we eat because we're talking while we eat so these are kind of you could say like two extremes on either end and i think we have to really look at how is our like what society do we live in and what culture do we live in and finding a middle ground where sure we can talk while we eat if we're in company of others, but to avoid conversations which are making us feel charged, like making us feel angry or talking about politics or talking about COVID or like these kinds of things aren't really great lunch dinner conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and turning off, like for that reason, like turning off the news, turning off the radio, things that will make us feel heightened emotionally. Yeah, it's like it's like watching like a movie where people are like killing each other. <laughs> and just totally, like <laughs> totally right. And you're eating while you're undergoing this kind of like stress for your fellow human beings you're watching in the movies. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's funny, like, when you observe other people when, or anyway, I, I often will observe this if I'm watching a movie with somebody, and there's a violent scene, and we're, say, like, munching on something, it's our inherent nature to pause. Like, if you really watch, you'll see people mostly do this, because they lose their appetite for a second. Right? Yeah we know like this isn't something that I should be looking at while I'm eating this food. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I love, I love the term you used earlier and you said neutrality, you said neutral. 
And so the way that I'm thinking about it is that like anything that, because our mind is the thing that is dividing things, it's separating things. And whenever we're caught up in that mind that is dividing things, our body cannot, is also divided. Like our energy is not, it seems like our energy is not like whole in a sense. We're very fragmented. And it seems like that um, coagulation or that, um, yeah, that coagulation and that disintegration is literally not allowing the body to do what it naturally is meant to do in harmony. Yeah, I'm getting a great visual of that digestive fire like fragmented when you say Uh that, like it's not all there. And yeah, I would agree. Not all the energy should be going to the digestive process and to actually tasting our food rather than getting pulled away to our work or to a movie. And one of the benefits that comes from that um, non-fragmented state of mind when we're really truly present with our food is that we taste our food better and we get more pleasure from our food, which is great, right? Like food is such a pleasure of, of life. And it allows us to really taste and enjoy and, and to feel more satiated with a, a normal amount of food, with a normal meal, because we're present with it and we're getting all the flavors and our mind is fully pleased with what we're eating. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk to you, talk with you about the different doshas, because I'm sure that has, um, you know, some correlation to how digestion happens. But I want to hear your interpretation of each of the doshas and just that whole thing. Yeah. So the doshas are a foundational concept in Ayurveda, from which all of Ayurvedic treatment is done and understood. And these doshas are three vital energies which are present within each of our mind-body systems and all over around us in nature. And essentially these three doshas make things happen. So they have functional roles within the mind-body system. And each of us has all three of these doshas because they're needed and these doshas are making everything happen in the body, but in different proportions. So some of us will have more of something called the vata dosha, which is the sort of a harmonious union of air and space. And it has more movement aspect. Some of us have more of the pitta dosha, which is a harmonious union of fire and water. And we'll have more fiery, nature or fiery aspect and then others can be dominant with this kapha dosha which is a harmonious union of water and earth and they'll have more kind of earthy aspect so there are infinite you know ways in which we can have these sorts of doshic um this doshic doshic makeup in our body maybe more vata and pitta or more more pitta and kapha or all three balanced. That's like a whole other thing. But our our mind-body type will lead us towards certain tendencies 
And when it comes to digestion, people with a predominantly vata mind-body type may have more vata digestion. So these people might be more prone to gas, to bloating, sometimes feeling hungry, not, sometimes not so hungry, probably more tendency towards constipation. People with more pitta, with more of that fire in their systems, may have a tendency towards stronger digestion, like they would never think to skip a meal and can eat a pretty good amount of food and digest it well, and then maybe even teeter towards too much fire of acid indigestion. Uh, and then our kapha dominant friends who have more earthiness in their system, things move a little more, we could say slowly in their system, might have a little more earthy digestion. So they have like a more low but steady appetite and things tend to digest just a little more slowly. So we're not put into a box where just because we have a certain constitution, we're definitely going to have that kind of digestion, but it's useful to understand your own digestive tendencies and make some adjust adjustments to your diet for that reason. Ideally, we all have amazing digestion and it's possible. But if we are experiencing digestive imbalances, then we can kind of make some tweaks so that our food suits us, our own mind body system better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so I want to, and that's a great explanation. And so let's say I'm a, let's say I'm a client of yours and I have slow digestion. Maybe for some reason it feels like things are like barely moving through my system. Maybe I have constipation. What, would you say to that person or how would you help them balance their energy mm. through just food or maybe even other, you know, other sorts of practices? Typically I use an array of practices. So food is for sure one thing we have to look at because we need to make sure that the food that you're able to digest that food. And if things are moving slowly, if things are sitting like a brick, then cheeseburgers, pizza, fried food is not for you, right? Because it's not going to get digested. So in this case, we would suggest things which are easier to digest. Warm cooked foods, um, more vegetables, more grains, less heavy foods like meat. And then in my practice, I work a lot with herbal formulas as well. So we have a lot of wonderful... Ayurvedic formulas to help stimulate digestion or even things like home remedies, like using ginger and cooking or drinking ginger tea. And then we also have to look at the movement that this person does or doesn't have in their life. If there's some stagnation and sluggishness in the system, there may be some stagnation and sluggishness in their life, right? If we're not moving, if we don't exercise, if we don't move our body, then we're likely to see some of this stagnation happening in the gut. So we have to look at that. Are we moving? Or what else is, you know, what is the cause? That's a really important principle in Ayurveda is that the first line of treatment for any disease is to remove the causative factor. So we have to figure out what's going on with this person. Like, why is this happening? And can we resolve that particular cause in order to help them to 
heal. Yeah. Does that answer your question? <laughs> it's like what the divide. Is yeah. it like like yeah, it very well could be that you sit on the couch for 75% of the day and you're not moving in that way, but it could also be like I've been in the same job for seven months and I absolutely hate it. Yeah. And, you know, it's draining my energy and like my energy is literally fragmented. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And the mental energy is, yeah, slow and sluggish for sure. It can have either a physical cause or a mental cause or, or both as well, or a spiritual cause, mm-hmm. which I think is what you were just sort of tapping into, like a, a dis, um, dissatisfaction with work or dissatisfaction with life. Okay. And so what would you say for, because I'm kind of assuming that for someone who perhaps like has more fire or I don't know, maybe like a speedier digestion or just like the opposite of what we just talked about. (laughs) Right. Um, What would be like some ways that you would approach like that person? Okay, so it depends. This is the number one phrase we use in Ayurveda. It depends. <laughs> it would depend on all the other factors going on with this person and other symptoms, of course. But let's just say that this person has a really crazy insatiable appetite, which is an imbalance, actually. It's too much. Because what happens is, despite how much that person eats, they're, they're burning it. And eventually that too high of fire can burn their tissues and cause depletion and emaciation. So in that case, we do almost the opposite. We need like a little bit of heavier foods to satisfy that person, like cheese, like maybe some mozzarella cheese at the end of the meal, for example, or having some more, um, maybe even some more meat, like things which are really and truly a little bit harder to digest because that person has that capacity. And if that person is also experiencing acid, too much fire in that acidic form and burning and heat, then we use this principle of opposites. So we use things which are more cooling. That's another um, key foundational principle of Ayurveda, which is based on nature. And that's a law of nature that opposites balance. So we advise foods which are a little bit more cooling for that person's system and a lifestyle that's a little more cooling. Like, um, let's say like working on stress. (laughs) That could be usually a really important component, like that fire of stress causing this fire in the internal system. And so we need to help that person to resolve that fire of the mind that like incessant like I must do and I must go and I must work and work and work and those are the people who often experience that kind of acid indigestion Mm -hmm. okay awesome so I'm I'm curious about how because I've because I've taken some of the quizzes before right (laughs) Mm, okay (laughs) yeah and so um, it seems that like our body has like a type, but our mind can also have a type. And so I want to hear like how you understand that and how people can actually pinpoint like what their dominant type is perhaps without taking a test. Okay. Uh, so we say actually this 
constitution that a person has takes into account both their body and their mind. And it's, it's common that someone will have a dominant dosha in their physical attributes and in their physiology and a different dosha acting more in their mind. And that could mean that that person has a dual doshic um, constitution. So maybe there's a lot of pitta in the system that we see. That person has red hair, that person has reddish skin, that person has like a very pitta kind of frame. But then in their mind, we see a lot of anxiety, a lot of um, creativity, a lot of lightness. And so it's possible they could be a pitta-vata constitution. So the thing is that the quizzes are really um, tricky <laughs> because they don't necessarily give us the right answer. So when most people will answer these doshic quizzes, like what's your dosha, they usually call them, what's your constitution? We answer based on how we're feeling right now. But our constitution is something that we were born with and that carries through all of our life. So we have to answer more based on how things have been lifelong. Uh, so that's one thing. The other thing is that we often see ourselves differently from how we really are. We have maybe like body dysmorphia. If I were to give this quiz to a lot of my female clients and say this quiz that, you know, I use to assess their mind body type, it says, how are these person's shoulders? Narrow, medium, or wide? Most of my female clients are going to write down wide, even though no, they might be narrow or medium. We have some different understanding of uh, our own mind-body system for you know whatever reason. So the best way to really understand your constitution is to work with a practitioner, someone who's really truly intimately knowledgeable of how these doshas manifest in the mind-body system and can properly assess. If we make a mistake in our assessment and then we start following things we read online about what to do if you're a vata, for a vata imbalance, we can actually imbalance ourselves further by following a protocol that actually doesn't suit us or suit our current imbalance. So it's really, it's really complicated. And it's funny you brought this up because I have a lot of strong feelings about it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a, Ayurveda is on the one hand, super simple and rooted in nature and um, very logical. On the other hand, the treatment aspect is quite complex. So it's not so black and white of like taking a, the quiz and then planning your own treatment protocol because of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's why it really comes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier whenever we were, um, when we were talking about intuitive eating is like just being able to be so present that it, that it doesn't necessarily matter. You know, mm, right. um, like, yes, having like that foundation, um, but just really being able to be, to be present and to understand and to know, uh, or to have like the best idea that you can, of like what your body needs right now. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to know your dosha. Right. right? <laughs> if, if you're, if you're into a state where a disease is more deeply manifested then it can be incredibly helpful to not only know your dosha, but 
then to work with somebody who can help you through that. But otherwise, yeah, coming back to those basic foundations, like if we all each have some basic foundational understanding of how to take care of our mind-body system. And this is something else that Ayurveda offers. It's like universal principles for daily routine and for wholesome eating. It laid it out for us. This is how all human beings universally can support their mind-body system without knowing their dosha. It's something called dinacharya, daily routine. There's ritucharya, seasonal routine. And then there are basics of um, eating and you know drinking liquids as well. Okay, so what is your foundation? My foundation is definitely Ayurveda. I mean, I, I fully follow Ayurveda. Even when I'm eating pizza, I feel like I'm following Ayurveda because I'm understanding my digestion's feeling great right now. I really want pizza and I'm going to enjoy this pizza and I'm going to digest it well because I'm choosing a time when I have good appetite to eat it. So, I mean, to give like a few very basics that are good for me and good for everybody, Ayurveda says that we should eat food which is warm and mostly cooked. So our digestive fire is this principle with some factor of heat. It's called agni, which means fire. And when we feed it with things which are warm, we kindle it. So we help it to stay strong and we better digest things which are, are warm. And we also better digest things which are cooked because cooked foods are almost halfway digested. If you think of like a raw carrot, and it's very raw form. And then a carrot that's been simmering in water for five minutes, that process of cooking, that process of adding water and cooking over fire has already started to break it down. So it makes it easier for our body to then process it. So warm food, cooked food, cold foods, pretty much never recommended. Raw food only if you have excellent digestion, which most people don't. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I don't do, I don't do smoothies anymore. Ah. Really, because like, I remember like the last time I had a smoothie, I drank it in the morning and it was, it was so cold. Like, I don't even know why it was so cold. And I did, I couldn't eat for the rest of the day. And I was like, oh my God, oh. Like, I felt like I was digesting it for the next two days. You probably were, <laughs> right? It's, yeah, that cold, cold causes constriction and heat causes expansion. So it's like when you walk out, like if you were to walk outside of your house right now in Michigan, I imagine it's cold, right? So you feel like constricted, like everything tightens. So if you imagine your digestive system receiving something cold and then it tightens and it's harder for it to digest properly. Whereas if you have like a nice warm tea or a warm soup, you're going to feel nice and calm and relaxed and easier to digest. And, you know, so when it comes to intuitive eating, that's intuitive eating, what you just said. You had that experience in your body of eating something, having an experience afterwards, 
and then being able to make a connection like, oh, that took me two days to digest. There was something about this that didn't suit me. And when we have a little bit of this understanding that comes from, you know, the laws of nature, like warm food is better for the body. We have that understanding. Then we have an experience to lock it in and verify like, yes, this is true. Warm food better suits my body. Then we create a pattern of eating, which feels really good and really supports our mind body system. So it's like yes. the experience is the verification, the proof. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> there's so much there, there. There's like so much. Thank you for being here. Um, so before we go into those other, I think, two foundations you're talking about or those two principles, I want to go over a couple of more digestive topics. Yeah, I uh, love digestion. Let's talk about it. <laughs> one, I want to talk, I want to talk about fruit because you hear so much, you hear about like the, um, like the ordering of digestion and the, and the proper order in which we should eat foods. So you hear like fruit, for example, where it's like, you shouldn't eat this fruit with this fruit. Um, you should eat fruit before meals instead of after them or during it. And so I want to hear like what you, what you think about that. Um, the Ayurvedic perspective is that for the most part, fruits should be eaten on their own because they're digested a bit differently from other foods. So this means that when we eat fruit, it's more as like a snack or it's paired with things that it's able to digest well with. This is, yeah, it's a big topic, this topic of incompatible foods and food combining in Ayurveda, but that's the easiest way to properly eat fruit is to just eat it on its own. But then there are some modifications or some um, exceptions and also some things that we should really never do. And one of the nevers is fruit with dairy, fruit with milk or fruit with yogurt because they really don't digest well. And the fruit will almost curdle the dairy in our gut. So this is one incompatible food combination that Ayurveda said that we should stay away from to have like a yogurt parfait or a milk and banana smoothie or um, what else do we usually eat? Um, ice cream with raspberries, those kinds of things will maybe you know, if we do it once in a while, no problem. It's when we do these things continuously that they may cause some digestive imbalance or cause some imbalance in another part of the system. Mm -hmm. So that's like one fruit. No, no, it's fruit with dairy, um, like fruit with meat, fruit with fish, which sounds gross, but sometimes I see it, you know, you get like a, a fish plate with some pineapple yeah. next to it, or you're at a buffet and you're eating some salad with apples and cranberries and you're also having like a piece of chicken you know things that probably aren't going to sit well um, and there are some exceptions like dates can be mixed with dairy dates are one exception to the rule because of their makeup and how they're digested so they're good with dairy um, dried fruits can be okay to cook and then have with grains. So it's not like so super strict, mm 
But when it comes to fresh fruit, yeah, I would say fresh fruit just on its own in between lunch and uh, breakfast and lunch or lunch and dinner. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. And, and they yeah. seem to make things certain fruits together as well, right? Like acidic with like <laughs> subacidic or whatever it may be. Right. Like an orange with uh, blueberry. I'm not sure if blueberry would be subacidic. Mm -hmm. uh, like, uh, like a banana yeah. with uh, with the pineapple or something. Okay, yeah. So this, as far you know, as far as I know, from my knowledge, that wasn't as much addressed in Ayurveda. Mm. So I don't know. Like this could come from another knowledge of food combining that has a lot of truth to it as well. Um, things which are sour and acidic better eaten alone yes like citrus better to just have citrus on its own yeah and i think in general if we have like just one or two fruits together rather than a whole slew of every kind of fruit together we're probably going to have a better digestive experience as well yeah, yeah. of course and it, and it really comes back to intuition because it's like I have pineapple and watermelon in my fridge upstairs, but, and sometimes like I want them both, but it, it just doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. It just, so, it's like, I don't want to combine like, yeah. You know, yeah. That I'm, I'm glad you said that actually melons are one thing that the Ayurvedic sages did say, don't eat with anything else. Melons in particular, only on their own. So that's probably why, like you innately know that, or you had some experience that told you that. Mm -hmm. Right. Super mm -hmm. powerful. And then there's obviously like the water thing. So at least what I've heard is that like, well, one, I do not drink cold water. <laughs> awesome. Like I, like I, I rarely drink cold water, like with ice cubes. Like I, I just don't do it. I prefer warm. It just makes my... Like I, like I, in my opinion and my experience, I seem to be a, a little bit more kapha. Um, so a bit slower digestion, need a little bit more time, whatever. Um, and I need as much energy as possible to be generated in order to, di to digest. Um, so, but I've, but I've heard a lot about like not drinking water, like right after a meal and having it like before. Mm. I'm curious, did somebody teach you to drink warm water or did you intuitively know? So it started with a teaching and over like, I don't know, like over time, it, it just seemed to feel better. And, you know, maybe that's a completely mental thing. Um, but I don't know, I, I'm just more drawn to like drinking like lukewarm water or at least water that that's not like freezing cold. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. It's funny. I had that, that similar experience too. I can remember traveling in India and being in like extreme heat and being on a train and my water bottle, plastic water bottle, which was no good, but anyway, my plastic water bottle being really warm from the heat of who knows a hundred degrees or whatever, and like probably sitting in the sun next to me on the train seat or something. And like loving that warm water, feeling like this feels so good, but this is weird. I'm not supposed to like warm water because people like cold water. 
<laughs> and then I came to Ayurveda and learned warm water is good for you. And it was like, a, yes, like my body knew that. My body understood that before anybody told me. So again, that's that, you know, intuitive knowing. It kind of feels like it's more, <laughs> it kind of feels like it's more a part of you. Cause like, I don't know, like my, my body just likes to be warm. If I'm putting, like, if, like I'm putting something that's literally opposite of me into me. That's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, warm water is considered a medicine in Ayurveda, warm water on its own. And it kindles the digestive fire. So it keeps digestion strong. And instead of causing that constriction, it's causing more harmonious flow in our, in our body. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, so I want to go over those. I want to get back to those two principles or foundations that you were going to mention. Sure. I don't remember what I said. <laughs> uh, we have to retrace our steps. I feel like I'm going off on tangents. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, well, you know, basically just like things that you would share, you know, like basic foundations and principles for people who um, just need somewhere to start, you know, perhaps, oh, okay. they, perhaps yeah. they're not completely sure like what their intuition is saying and they maybe they just want to be healthier, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the warm and cooked food is important. And then drinking warm water is, I mean, it's like transformational to switch from drinking cold water or ice water or water, which is straight from the tap, which usually tends to run a little cold and instead sipping on warm water. So it's funny when people start this like process of embracing Ayurveda in their lives, they usually end up with a thermos. <laughs> we love thermoses. So warming up water, keeping it in a thermos, and then drinking that warm water throughout the day, sipping on warm water. I've had so many clients who that's like the only thing that they do, the only thing that they change, and suddenly constipation's better, bloat's better, digestion feels better, energy feels better just from that. So it's helping to move these, um, you know, kindle that digestive fire and move this vata dosha in its natural direction and its natural flow. Mm-hmm. So other, yeah, another principle that just can't be underestimated is eating more or less around the same time every day. So picking a breakfast time, picking a lunch time, picking a dinner time, and sticking to that schedule. And this isn't something, again, like I think particularly in American culture that we, a lot of us don't do it, and a lot of us don't like it. Also, because we like to be able to do whatever we want, whenever we want. But our body inherently loves rhythm and regularity. All of our systems are designed to function on rhythm and regularity, including our digestive system. So by eating around the same time every day, our body learns when, what time is food coming? And what time do I need to start preparing for that food to come? And then our agni, our digestive fire starts to become active we start to feel hungry. And then when we're hungry, we're going to better digest our food because that fire is there. Whereas if we eat 
totally, you know, haphazardly, whatever. Is that a word? Haphazard. Sounds strange to me right now. I think so. <laughs> so if we're or eating at what? Haphazardly, maybe. Haphazard, that's the <laughs> word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Haphavic. I'm going to have to make a new word. So yeah. haphazardly, like sometimes breakfast at eight, sometimes at 11, sometimes lunch at two, sometimes lunch at four. Are, we're likely taxing our system of digestion because we may be eating when we're not hungry or we may be eating before our previous meal has been digested. So that's, I mean, Ayurveda says when it comes to food, there's how you eat and there's what you eat. And actually how you eat is more important between the two. And that's one of the most important things when it comes to how we eat is simply just having a, a food schedule, a food routine and sticking to that within like a 45 minute to one hour window. And of course, sometimes it's all gonna go out the window, no problem. But it's what we do most of the time that that really counts. Um, and within that too, having a bigger lunch and a smaller dinner is super helpful because our digestive fire is stronger at lunch in the middle of the day. It's this fire within us that's mirroring this fire of the universe and the fire of the universe, the sun, is burning brightly in the middle of the day around noon. And the same thing is happening in our gut. In fact, I'm getting hungry right now as we talk because we're nearing my lunchtime when the fire is you know, bigger. And so we can handle a bigger meal at this time. Whereas in the evening, digestive fire naturally goes down. As the sun is you know, going down, the atmosphere is getting cooler and more sluggish. The same thing is happening inside. So if we honor that, and we eat a, a nice hearty lunch and we eat a little bit of a lighter dinner, we tend to feel much better when we wake up. And I'm sure everybody listening has had that experience. Like when you go out to dinner, you have some pasta, you have some tiramisu, you have some fried mozzarella sticks, like you have this nice big meal. And then in the morning, you're still not hungry and you feel sluggish and you feel like you have a food hangover. That's, that's all it is. It's like the, the natural way that our body works. Mm -hmm. So those things, I mean, those things can like change everything, I would say. Yeah, that's super powerful. It feels so good to wake up feeling empty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And that's how we should feel because it, we should have digested our dinner by the time we wake up. Mm -hmm. And so if we wake up and we're still full, then we should think, what happened last night? Was my dinner too heavy? Or did I eat too late? Mm -hmm. Could be either one of those things. Again, this is like that intuitive eating, just reflecting a little bit on like, okay, hmm, what's going on? What, what were the factors that were happening last night? And then if we have a little bit of this wisdom to back it up with, like we've heard this teaching or learned this before, somebody's taught us, then we like verify. Yeah, that's true. I went, I ate too late. I ate at 10 PM. So that doesn't support my system. Right. <laughs> and something that I've found that does not support my system is laying down ah. after I eat. It's like, like, it's horrible for my digestion when I do that. Yeah, same. It's like the gurgles and like the rah, 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 not yeah. a happy like, system. Yeah. And it's like, it never like really gets a chance to like actually digest and go through. Yeah. So, like, so it's nice to like go on a walk 
after I have a meal or to, or to, or at least commit to just like sitting up for a couple of hours. Yeah. 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 There's a yoga pose called Vajrasana where you're sitting on folded legs and then your spine is super straight. So that's a great pose for people who feel like things aren't moving. It just lines everything up super properly. And you can sit in that pose for five minutes. Interestingly, they, they do say in Ayurveda that after a heavy meal, you can lie on your left side to support digestion because it's uh, kind of cradling the food in your stomach. My personal experience is even that, like I'm with you, I can't, sometimes I'll try it and feel like, no, like must sit up or must go for a little walk. It doesn't yeah. work. I actually, yeah. I actually do the left side sometimes. You do? Yeah. Does that feel different? <laughs> I'll make sure it's at like the highest elevation as possible. Ah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I like to be comfortable, you know, cough in nature. So. Right, right. <laughs> um. So I only have two more questions for you. One, what is your vision for a new earth? Oh, what a big question. <laughs> hmm, my vision for a new earth. I would say my, my vision, I guess my vision meaning like my hope or wish or desire for a new earth coming into this time that we're in right now would be that people start to trust more in their own bodies. That people start to understand the strength and healing capacity of their own physical bodies as we move into these times of a lot of distrust. You know, a lot of like, giving our power of health to others, but to start to pay attention, to start to put emphasis on, I think this is, this is what it is. Like, this is where we're at. This is what we have to do if we want to move forward in a way that's supporting the human race, supporting us individually, supporting our, our health, our well-being is that we have to start putting a little more emphasis on our health, on eating wholesome foods in the right way, on exercising, on moving our bodies, on doing things which are wholesome for our minds and on spiritual practice as well. So yeah, I would say my vision for um, a more peaceful, healthy population is for all of us to put some more emphasis in those areas to make them important and to know like my body is strong my mind is strong my body has innate capacity to heal it is the healing factor for my own self it's my own body my own mind and I trust in its capacity I hope we yeah. get there. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like very well put. It's like it's bringing all of the energy back within. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's exactly, yeah. You nailed it. So finally, what to you is the meaning of life? I don't know if I found the answer to that question yet. 
the meaning of life. But I do think that at least the journey of life is a process of bringing ourselves closer to God. And God, for me, may be very different for, from somebody else, you know, what that word God means. But for me, it's this spiritual essence of everything around us. And I think the journey of life is getting closer and closer to that. And seeing that God in everything around us, seeing it in all of our fellow human beings and, you know, four-legged creatures and plants and animals and nature. And to start to better know that God that exists in our own essence. So if we are living in a way that's kind of moving towards that, I would say that is the meaningful journey of life and that there is meaning in life that it's I, for me, I don't believe that this is all random that we just, you know, happen to be here and that we have only one life that we're trying to work through, but that we are on a continual journey. And if we are moving towards growth and transformation, then we're moving in the right direction. So that that, you know, that that growth and transformation never ends. That's so beautiful. I felt a, I felt a very like soothing energy in my body as you, as you first started to say that. And I completely agree with you. It's like the way that I've been seeing it lately is that because as I'm like continually working with my intuition, it's very easy to get into this place of like trying to make the right decision. So it's like, okay, like, do I really want the broccoli tonight or do I really want the asparagus? And it's like, you know what? Like, yes, I'm going to try my best, but at the end of the day, I have to be able to be present and to find the God within me, no matter what happens, no matter what I choose no matter what I have for dinner. Like if I have the pizza for dinner and I'm feeling guilt, it's not about, okay, like, yeah, from one perspective, maybe it's like, okay, next time I can do this differently. It's about, okay, can I be present within this circumstance and find the God within me right now? Because it seems like we just have all these opportunities every day, every choice that we make, every moment to just remember that and to come home to that and to live in that place of just like harmony. Yeah. And also, can you see the God in that pizza? You know, like that pizza is another beautiful um, manifestation of creation. Yeah. Like who invented pizza? I mean, it's the best food ever. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and part of life is, pleasure. Actually, they taught in Vedic wisdom that there are four main goals of life. And one of them is pleasure and joy and really enjoying life. So I think that that, you know, that pizza too can be like a, a celebration and enjoyment of getting to taste all of these different flavors and having this beautiful, pleasurable experience on the tongue. So if we can look at 
everything and anything from that spiritual perspective, then it's like we get to see everything in a new light. And, um, you know, that's not to say to like make an excuse for say eating pizza all the time, but to, to approach maybe everything in this really balanced way, balance, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. As uncomfortable as it may be, it's like, maybe my body wants to fast right now, <laughs> you know? It's like also being able to find God within that and not just like indulging in whatever. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, Julie, this was an amazing conversation. Thank you for having me, Nicholas. It was awesome to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for being here and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs>